So we've been talking the last few weeks about things I wish Jesus never said. Things I wish Jesus never said. I did a little Googling today, and according to Google.com, there are 1,050 commands in the New Testament. 1,050. And frankly, that's a lot. And quite frankly, Jesus has said a lot of things over the years. But here's what we do. We often treat the Word of God like a buffet, right? I hate going to buffet places. You know why? If we go to a Chinese buffet, here's what my two plates of food look like. Ready? Number one, we got a mountain of white rice. I don't want the fried rice with the peas and the carrots, okay? That ain't fried rice. That's like some hidden innuendo vegetarian rice. I don't want that. If I wanted that, I would go to a salad bar. So I'll just take a mountain of white rice. That's plate number one. You know what plate number two is? Them little fried chicken nuggets for like sweet and sour chicken. And who knows if it's really chicken, right? Do any of you ever think about that when you buy this one? You're like, oh, this is great. And then your next thought might be something like, I just ate someone's cat and I feel like vomiting. Right? I hate going to buffets because I am so picky. Some of you go to buffets and you fit 93 different things on one plate and it's all pulling together and it looks like my last science experiment that I failed. I hate buffets. But all kidding aside, that's how we treat the Word of God sometimes, right? If we're just going to be honest, we're like, here's what we do. We're like, oh, hey God, bless me. Bless my family. Hey God, can I get a Cadillac? Hey God, I need a big home. Hey, God, could we have a Christmas this year? But all of the things that Jesus says in the Bible that we don't like, that make us feel uncomfortable, that offend us, we're quick to toss out. We don't even take a no thank you bite, right? I had to take a no thank you bite once some greens. My friends take my cool anyway. That was right. We treat the word of God like a buffet, and we pick and choose what we want. And tonight's topics are hard. They're hard. They're hard to talk about. They're hard to listen to. It was hard for me to type this stuff up today. Because my own heart was convicted. And I don't have time to sugarcoat it or to beat around the bush. In 2 Timothy 3.7, I think sums up where most of us in this room is. Or where this in this room are. It says this. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of truth. Most of you in here have been coming to House of Faith since before House of Faith existed. But the reality is the life you live, you keep repeating these bad negative cycles. You keep making the same stupid mistakes. You keep getting ISS. You keep getting pulled aside by the teacher. You keep getting grounded by your parents. And it's because you're picking and choosing what you want out of the Word of God. And frankly, it doesn't work like that. And tonight's topics, most of us were like, um, no thank you. My best friend needs to read that, but not me. I'm solid. I'm good. <laughs> like, I'm one of God's favorites. He loves me. 
but we're all here. Number one, I'm going to tell you two things. Number one, I wish Jesus never said to be nice to my enemies. Another side. We already get uncomfortable. Let's get high. I haven't even started. I wish Jesus never said to be nice to my enemies. Matthew 5, 43 through 48. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend. And it's unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. This is God speaking. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you. Not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the energy of prayer. Hmm. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives His best. The sun to warm and the rain to nourish to everyone, regardless the good and the bad, the nice and the nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. That's God speaking. Grow up. Grow up. Your kingdom subjects now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously toward others the way God lives toward you. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. But that's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with our old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. And then take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his character in you. Ephesians 4.29 Watch the way you talk. Let nothing foul or dirty come out of your mouth. Say only what helps each word a gift. But Jesus, you have no idea what they've done to me. Actually, child, Tara, I love you. And I do know but, what they did to you. But they were the ones that were the punk, Jesus. You saw what they did. Tara, listen. You have not been perfect yourself. But Jesus. Oh, my child. If you would just learn to trust you. You and I together, we've got this. Heavenly Father, you sent me to the cross and I was willing to go for Tim. And I am praying now to you, my Father, for the grace and the courage that you would give us to Tim, the ability to be kind to others. I wish 
I wish Jesus never said to forgive others. I really wish he never said to forgive others. Colossians 3.13 Bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against the other forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you so you must also forgive. Matthew 6.14 and 15 In prayer there is a connection between what God does and what you do. You can't get forgiveness from God. For example if you don't forgive others If you refuse to do your part, you cut yourself off from God's part. Luke 17, 3 through 4. Be alert. If you see your friend going wrong, correct him. If he responds, forgive him. Even if it's personal against you. And repeated seven times throughout the day. And seven times he says, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. Forgive him. Mark 11, 25. Jesus was matter of fact. Embrace this God life. Really embrace it. And nothing will be too much for you. This mountain, for instance, just say, go jump in the lake. No shuffling or shilly-shallying. And it's as good as done. That's why I urge you to pray for absolutely everything, ranging from small to large. Include everything as you embrace this God life, and you'll get God's everything. And when you assume the posture of prayer, remember that it's not all asking. If you have anything against someone, forgive. Only then will your Heavenly Father be inclined to also wipe your slate clean of sins. Here's the thing. We can no longer pick and choose what we want God to say to us. We can no longer do that. God's work speaks and it shatters our carefully put together lives. And it contradicts everything we want to do and everything culture says to do. Your culture says hold a grudge, be bitter, start mess, start start drama. That's not what God's word says. Building a life full of resentment, rage, and bitterness is like crafting the biggest And craziest sandcastle right on the edge of the shore where the water ebbs and flows. It will always end in destruction. It always ends in destruction. We walk around with these chips on our shoulders. These grudges that we have against people. And we wear them like badges. Like Boy Scout and Girl Scout medals of honor. Mother. My mother did this. My best friend did this. My teacher, man, I'm so tired of hearing y'all talk mess about your teachers on my van. I could, I could puke. I, I'm, no, really, I'm really tired of it. Because the reality is Jesus died for your teacher just like he died for you. And you're, you're the ones being punks. And you wear it like a little badge. My teacher, my teacher's me, my, my teacher, whatever. Family, my family, blah, 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 my family. And, and you wear all these badges. All day long. And you tell everyone your little sad story. And instead of your life being a trophy of grace and God's goodness, you make yourself a trophy. My father, I don't father. My, my dad's a punk. I don't know my dad. And it goes on and on. Different people who have hurt us and what they've done. And we wear them proudly. 
But the reality is this. Jesus carried every single one of those to the cross because they were His to carry and not yours. The cross was big enough. You can't replace the cross. You're not strong enough. You're not good enough. You're not powerful enough. You're not big enough. Stop playing God. This isn't a one-act play, but a real-life drama in which God gave everything. Everything. He gave His best. And we want to pick and choose. He gave His best. We're going to talk about the cross for a minute, and we're going to finish. The cross was a place where Jesus suffered a very severe physical beating. During a flogging, a victim was tied to a post, leaving his back entirely exposed. The Romans used a whip called a flagrum or a flagellum, which consisted of small pieces of bone and metal attached to a number of leather strands. The number of strikes is not recorded in the Gospels. The number of blows in Jewish law was set in Deuteronomy 25.3 at 40, but later reduced to 39 to prevent excessive blows by accounting error. The victim often died from the beating. 39 hits were believed to bring the criminal to death. And Roman law did not put any limits on the number of blows given. During the flogging, the skin was stripped from the back, exposing a bloody mass of muscle and bone. Extreme blood loss occurred from this beating, weakening the victim, perhaps to the point of being unconscious. The soldiers, they stripped him, they stripped Jesus, and they put a scarlet robe on him, and they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. And they put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him, Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. And they took the staff and struck him on the head again and again and again and again. Jesus was then beaten by the Roman soldiers. The crown of thorns covered the entire scalp. The thorns, one to two inches long, sharp. They beat him on the head to where the crown of thorns pressed into his head, which is one of the the places of your body that has the most veins and blood vessels. And it means that Jesus bled excessively from his head. When the cross was erected upright, there was tremendous strain put on the wrists, the arms, and the shoulders, resulting in a dislocation of the shoulder and the elbow joints. No time for Jesus to climb down now and go to the clinic. It was all, he was all in. He was all in. It was all or nothing. The arms being held up and outward held the rib cage in a fixed end, inspiratory position, which made it extremely difficult to exhale and impossible to take a full breath. The victim would only be able to take very shallow breaths. As time passed, the muscles from the loss of blood, last of oxygen, and a fixed position of the body would undergo severe cramps and spasmodic contractions. The nails, seven inches long. Seven inches long. And about three-eighths of an inch wide. And they were driven into his wrists. Causing shocks of pain to radiate through the arms. St- 
standing at the crucifixion sites would be upright posts called stipes standing about seven feet high. The cross was then lifted up. The feet were nailed to the stipes. To allow for this, the knees had to be bent and rotated laterally, being left in a very uncomfortable position. No time for Jesus to rearrange himself and get comfortable. He was all in. Everything. These are medical doctors that have studied the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And this is actually what happened to his body. Shallowness of breathing causes small areas of lung collapse. Decreased oxygen and increased carbon dioxide causes acidic conditions in the tissues. Fluid builds up in the lungs, makes situation in step number two worse. Heart is stressed and eventually fails. After all of this, are you still foolish enough to carry around your unforgiveness? After all of this, are you still foolish enough to carry your bitterness and your resentment about your family? I was for a long time. For a really long time. I had unforgiveness towards my family. I had unforgiveness towards friends. Friends that did really bogus things, which I will not say. Because it doesn't matter. Because none of it matters in light of what Jesus did. But when you choose unforgiveness, when you choose bitterness and resentment, when you choose to carry around these things and wear them as badges of honor, when you choose to hold on to your past instead of taking what God is offering you, when you choose to be angry, Walking around all day salty at everyone. When you choose to be resentful towards your family. When you choose to be bogus towards your best friend because they hurt your feelings. All you're doing is making it hard on yourself. It's like me putting these chains on. Right? And you know what? They're getting heavy. They're getting really heavy. But when you choose not to forgive... This is what it's like. You're the one in chains. You're the one bound up. You're the one carrying all this weight that Jesus never created for you to carry. I did it for years. I hated my own mother and my father. I went for years without talking to them. When I thought about them, it made me so angry I couldn't sleep at night. I didn't have a single picture of my parents. I didn't call them. Not Father's Day, not Mother's Day. Not even their birthdays. I hated my parents for how I grew up. Hated to the core. And I walked around for years with these chains on. Dirty, rusty, nasty chains. And because I had that, I couldn't receive God's love for terror. I couldn't live life. I, I couldn't love others and I couldn't allow others to love me. But one day, when I looked at the cross, when I looked at that face, here's what I understood. Jesus didn't die on a cross for terror. Well, he did, but not just me. Jesus died on a cross for my mom and my dad. And you know what? Jesus died on a cross 
for my family. And Jesus died on the cross for my friends. And by not forgiving them, by choosing to be unforgiving, basically what I'm saying is, Jesus, you're not enough for them. Your cross wasn't enough for them. And that is a bunch of baloney. So one by one, God began helping me. And I began forgiving. And I couldn't do it without Jesus. Oh, I could not do it without Jesus. But I asked him to help me. And he helped me. And one by one, the change began to break and they began to fall. Now listen to me. I love my mom and dad today. A lot. I miss them. They're about a thousand miles away from me. I miss them. I don't get to go home and see them. But I love them. I would do anything for them. But that's only because of the gospel in Jesus Christ who freed me. Some of you are not free because of the weight that you carry. The weight of anger, unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment. You have all of these chains. And Jesus paid a ridiculously high price for you to live in chains. Proverbs 26.11 says this. As a dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. You have an opportunity tonight and we're going to be done. Some of you, you you already know who you need to forgive. Or maybe it's more than one person. So I'm going to pray and then the adults on the side and in the back, they have paper and pen. And I'm going to invite you, don't just do this if you don't mean it. But if you mean it, I'm going to invite you to write down the name of that someone. And then you're going to bring it up here and you're just going to leave it at the cross. And guess what? I'm leaving my best friend at the cross, and I'm not going home with that bitterness That anger, okay? So let's pray. God, thank you for tonight. Holy Spirit, we give you free reign in this place. And I pray that you would break the chains tonight. In Jesus' name. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for choosing to forgive us. Thank you for paying the ultimate price for us, God. Pray that tonight you would set hearts free. In Jesus' name, amen. We're only going to do this for a few minutes, so if that's you, get up without talking. Go get paper and pen. You can bring it out to the cross and go see them. Actually, everyone grab a seat real quick. Oh, go ahead. Y'all go ahead. Just listen to Mackenzie as she shares.